Folks, welcome back to the iHealth channel, uh, the Fit and Fab channel, the Nutritious channel. We're going to go all over the place today. iHealth Radio, of course. Uh, with your host, Hurricane Age, new day, new show. Uh, a topic that is important that we need always to remind ourselves about, to talk about. The more we talk about, the more expertise we can bring to the table, uh, the better we can all be. And, and that is a topic about health and aging. I mean, we... If we live long enough, you know, we're aging. And if we age, we need to age healthier, live, you know, a better life. And a lot of people sometimes may not get to a certain point in life where they have the vitality and the vibrance and so on and so forth. So with me today, have uh, someone who's going to guide us to a discussion about how do we still maintain our health and vitality and all the stuff as we do age. And we'll touch on nutrition, uh, I guess, fitness, the health piece of it. And again, my expert today, uh, she's a doctor and uh, she's an ICU nurse, uh, professor of nursing, uh, extensive training and research in anti-aging, health, fitness, wellness. She's a coach. I mean, uh, she's a full package and she knows what she's talking about today. So with me, I have Christine Boev. Christine, Dr. Christine Boev, welcome to the show. Thank you so, so much for having me. Hopefully we can have a great conversation for your listeners and talk all things health, wellness, anti-aging, and hopefully I can provide some good advice and tips to help everybody live a great life. Well, well thank you. And, 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 and really, it is, it is a big deal. I mean, uh, listen, if we're living, if you're breathing right now, watching, or we know someone that's alive, you know, certainly we want them to be happy, right? And we do, you know, live in this world, uh, you know, around people. Uh, the thing is, you know it. I, know, I mean, you work that, you know, I guess at the ICU. I mean, you get a lot of, you know, difficult cases. I mean, the intensive care unit is not where someone wants to become or be. And yet, you know, people there, you know, I mean, obviously there's, there's accident, there's this, that, that, but a lot of it is also disease and, and illness and lack of taking care of, you know, self early on, whether through alcohol or lack of exercise or bad eating or, you know, I mean, again, there's genetics, there's, we can talk about all the, the medical piece of it, but, but, but it all affects us somehow, but we don't want to be there. We want to live happier. We want to live as long as, and I always make just this, this analogy. There's two ways. We die young and we're just gone or we live long and we got to stay healthier to maintain that life. Right. And so, so, and, and that's the thing at early on in our lives, we tend not to care as much. And mm. I think that's our problem, right? I mean, we all think that we are invincible. We are young. We are vibrant and life is going to, you know, just be as, as full of fun as we go, listen, I get that from my own kids. I'm, I talk to them like, hey, you can't do this. Like, ah, dad, you know, you're going to live a life. Okay, but, but I know what's going to happen in the future. You're going to complain and sometimes it may be too late. So let's talk about the whole thing. I mean, first of all, let's talk about your experience. I mean, just, just as in general, as a, you know, I guess an ICU expert. I mean, that is not, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen people in the ICU and it's not fun. Uh, we've heard about stuff. We've seen them in the movies, but, but what is the experience that, that you can share with people? Because I think we start there, then the picture becomes a lot clearer for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. So I've been an ICU nurse for 22 years and I've seen it all. I've worked with infants through adults and really the, the, when it comes down to it, if you're not going to be in some sort of major accident, you're going to die from four, they call them the four killers. And they're all preventable, which is where my passion for health, wellness, and anti-aging really comes into play because I see people 
you know, on their deathbed and they really don't need to be there. And so education is so important. So if you're going to end up in the ICU, it's going to be from heart disease, cancer, metabolic disease like diabetes and complications of diabetes, or your neurovascular diseases like Alzheimer's disease. Those are your four killers and they are all preventable. And I think that's the big key for your listeners. There are very simple things that you can do right now to make sure that you don't end up in the ICU apart from any sort of, like I said, catastrophic accidents, falls and things like that. You see that a lot of times with our youth, like you were talking about, where you think you're invincible, nothing's ever going to get you, and you know you make some bad decisions. You're under the influence of alcohol, you make some bad decisions. But for the most part, we do have a lot of control over our health span, and it's, it's really powerful to have that knowledge and those strategies to keep you out of the hospital. Well, well thank you. Uh, you, you know, uh, again, you, you mentioned the, the four key big ones right and as you said they are preventable and a lot of this stuff is i would say other than genetics and even with genetics you can still kind of work through them i think the problem is more of behaviors and and just you know mm-hmm. I, I guess things that we pick up along the the line and frankly um those folks that are in the icu or at least you know if you talk to them they probably you know will tell you that they've made some choices and maybe they were not prepared and they thought that things will get better and sometimes one thing leads to the other and it gets a little too late. Now, obviously we can talk cancer and someone say, well, that's, that's something else, but it'll, you know, there is some pre, I guess, conceived notions about cancer being something that we'll get through genetics and DNA and, you know, something, even mm-hmm. diabetes and things, but really there's, there's a lot of factors that also uh, add to, to the fact that you can, you know, get something. Now, of course we can talk about it. People can tell, well, you guys talk all you want. But, you know, uh, we've had this, we've had that, we know people. I think everyone that's listening, watching, knows someone or will know someone, if not themselves experiencing some sort of an illness themselves, and it's not fun. And early on, as we start our lives, I mean, the younger we are, I think the more we should be aware of what that looks like as we in progress in life. The challenge that I think I see today more than ever, I mean, with, well, the new age, you know, with the modern technology and being in the games and just staying behind the screens and the lifestyles mm-hmm. have shifted many, many, you know, uh, miles away from where we used to be as generations, right? And if we look at our grandparents and, you know, beyond, they were active people. And even I think you and I, we had probably a better childhood, you know, playing, you know, more mm-hmm. outdoors than indoors. And, you know, and by the way, that's not a challenge. Even for our generation, we have problems, you know, and disease and illness. And a lot of people that are aging, you know, are aging because they lived at a certain period of time and, and now it's happening. But can we reverse things? Can we prevent things? I think preventative is the key word here. We can, you know, at least diminish the risks. And I think that's something that we can talk about more. But so, so doctor, you know, what are some of the factors that, really lead to those four elements that you mentioned that are completely detrimental, pretty much even fatal for life? Yeah, I mean, the biggest one is obesity. And that's the one that I think we have the most control over is that we have got an epidemic of childhood obesity and adult obesity. And it really links back to two things, in my opinion. One is comfort. We gravitate towards comfort. We don't like putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations. We, you know, we like convenience. We get Uber Eats. You know, we don't like to move our bodies. 
And then the second thing is the way that we get our food and our food sources has changed dramatically. And the amount of processed foods that just cause our insulin to spike and we're shuttling fat into ourselves is it's really a problem at this point. And so we've got to combat obesity. And I don't believe that we should, you know, embrace big is beautiful because obesity is directly linked to cancer, especially breast cancers in particular. And so we've got to be really thoughtful about what, how we're addressing obesity in our society, that when you are meeting with your primary care physician, that you're having those honest conversations about what is an acceptable, healthy, body weight for you to be carrying around because the more body weight, the more body fat that you're carrying, it stresses out your heart and it predisposes you to things like diabetes, which means that you're not going to live a long life. So those are all things that we've got to be really thoughtful about when we're trying to live a long, healthy life. So you mentioned a couple of things. I mean, very loud ones, <laughs> you know, mm. I mean, obesity, as we know, it is it's a pandemic on its own. I mean, it's it's real. It's happening. We cannot deny it. It we see it. And and I mean, maybe if you can define to people just what obesity, because again, maybe the visual that people have is someone that is you know got a lot of fat and you know in in their body. But but what it is really for me, medical you know aspect of it. I think that just to clarify things for people, because here's the thing: we have charts and things based on your height, your age, and stuff. And it tells you, like, you know, if you're X amount of, you know, weight, you know, pounds over, you're obese, but you're like, I'm not, I don't look obese, but yet, according to the charts, you might be. So let's talk about just that, that technical piece, just to, to ease people's minds and understand what it is. Because, and I think what you said, you know, the body, I mean, people want to live good and happy about who they are and how they look. But at the end of the day, are they really, yeah, you could, I mean, psychologically speaking, you can just say, get all the positive stuff that you can continue pushing that you're healthy and stuff, but you know that deep inside, sometimes inside is not doing well. And by the way, you don't have to be obese to have these problems. I mean, we can have problems regardless, but it's just a higher risk as you stated. So, so let's define a little bit that for our audiences, just to get them closer to the, to, to the clinical picture of that. Sure. So in the medical world, they still lean on body mass index as a measure of obesity. However, body mass index can be very misleading. So basically, it's a formula based on your height and your weight. But if you're somebody who's very muscular, so my husband, for example, he's very muscular, he's 225 pounds, he's six feet tall, he might technically, you know, fall on the higher end in terms of a body mass index. So that's really not the best way to measure obesity. If you really want to measure how much fat you have in your body, then you can go into a radiologic clinic and do a DEXA scan. And that's going to be the gold standard that will tell you what percentage of your body is fat versus muscle. It'll also look at the um, density of your bones to make sure you don't have weak, brittle bones. The other thing that um, is very popular now and we have in our clinic is an in-body scanner. And all of my clients will hop on the in-body scanner once a month. And basically what it does, it's not invasive and it sends a signal up and down your body and it will measure what your percent body fat is, where your fat is. You know, For women, a lot of times we store it in our midsection um, or our hips or our thighs. And so it really helps you to figure out like where the fat is and where the problem is. The other thing that you can do, which is super simple, is use a tape measure 
and you can measure your, your waist circumference in inches and your hip circumference. And you really want that difference to be less than 80%. So you don't want your waist to be bigger than your hips. And if it is, that's a sign that you were more predisposed to heart disease. So there's lots of ways to define obesity. Um, but for the most part, again, when you meet with your provider, you go for your annual physical, have an honest conversation about where you're at. There's also blood markers that you would want to look at. One of them is your hemoglobin A1C, and that's how stable your blood sugar is over time. You know, that number really needs to be below 7% to make sure that you're not at risk for diabetes, which is highly correlated to obesity. So there's lots of numbers that'll really help us paint a picture of health and wellness related to obesity. Thank you. I mean, the reason I'm asking is like, you know, again, people think fat or like, you know, someone who's just, you know, getting big is, is I mean, obviously that's maybe the, the, the obvious picture, but really it's the inside and how it all operates in terms of your body. And that, that can determine. And I love what you, you clarified that, you know, those, the old model of the BMI stuff, it's, it's misleading, as you said, because you could be muscular and look like, you know, you're heavier than which, and by the way, I have the same problem. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. in my, in the index, I'm actually obese. <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah. clearly I'm five, eight and one, you know, I'm supposed to be 170 and I'm 200. So it does, it doesn't add up. Right. So, but, but in, in a way it does, there is to something to it. You have to maintain, you have to control that. But I love that there are other more advanced, you know, pieces of technology that you can use to really determine where you are. And I even the visual piece about just measuring can make a difference. Now we, we can also just just anyone watching listening if you're you can breathe you can bend down to to your laces whatever things you know are difficult you know you have a little bit of you know you're breathing hard when you walk around i mean you know there's certain things that can still be you know signs that you have a problem and by the way i work out when i stop working out just a couple of weeks you can feel some some stuff we can gain weight easily and there's also an age factor there early on versus later on can make a difference your metabolism difference and we can talk about hormones and things like that as well so, so that's it. You mentioned uh, the food that we eat. Mm -hmm. I mean, that 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 is, I think, one of the biggest problems we have. Besides the, I mean, the behavior is is the comfort that we live in today. I mean, everything is on an app. You just click and go. You don't even have mm -hmm. to move from your seat, and food can be there. Soon, we'll have even robots feeding you. I'm sorry, but but I can see that happening. You know, I mean, literally. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's amazing that we can have all these things, and technology is great to have, but. With everything with moderation and understanding how it operates properly, you can do it. But it, you know, we have all the means to really get lazier and lazier and lazier, and and really that's what it is. You add to that the fact that our food sources, whether from the soil and what we eat and what we consume daily. I mean, I'm I'm like for the last couple of years since I started this the radio, I I'm I'm like literally going crazy because I can't even. I, I can tell you the truth is that I don't even know where to eat healthy anymore or what to eat healthy because no matter where you try, even you get the fruits and the vegetable vegetables and you, the right meats and everything, but you still don't know if it's really, you know, are they really done the right way? Are they, you know, uh, raised the right way? Are they, you know, uh, are they pesticides on these things? I mean, are they mm -hmm. organic? Are they, you know, and even with the organic, it's not necessarily always what they say. I mean, there's a lot of misleading labeling stuff out there. So it's hard to know. I mean, you got to, we become an expert in every single thing. You have to look at every single, you know, single ingredient in these products that you buy, including the, just the regular standard stuff. Uh, forget those people. I mean, when we go around, just getting everything in a box or anything in a can, that's another problem. And then we mm -hmm. also eat outdoors. 
you know, like a lot of us, you know, have behaviors where we we work hard. I mean, society today is difficult. You got to work and you eat on the go. Uh, you don't digest properly. Um, you also have the problem of purchasing stuff again that is just you know fast food. We know that's ultra processed stuff, not good for you. Uh, I mean, someone could say, well, it tastes good. Obviously, I mean, anything with sugar and salt will will taste pretty good. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's how the the play, right? But but really, we have all these problems that are existing and they're real. And they're not going anywhere. I mean, the only thing that we can do is to work around them and understand how to kind of move around these things, you know, gracefully, and then add other things such as, you know, uh, fitness and the, the right diets. And I'm not talking about dieting here, like, you know, like, you know, just losing weight diet. I mean, that's, that's like a fix when you actually get to a point and you need to get back. But that's not the real fix. You got to treat the root cause, which is what we're discussing here. It's happening because of all these factors. So, so if you don't mind that, just let's talk about the, these the elements that I just talked about right now, or, or almost reiterated things that you've already stated earlier. Yeah. So I would say the first thing that makes a lot of sense is to eat seasonally. And so, you know, strawberries, it's, it's February and I'm in upstate New York. Like there's no strawberries growing around here. So eat very seasonably. And if you can eat locally, that makes a whole lot of sense. So utilize your farmer's markets and your local farmers and things to get your food, know where your food comes from and know how it's raised and how it's processed and things like that. Uh, right now it's citrus season. So we eat a lot of citrus fruit in my house in the winter because it's in season. So there's oranges and lemons and grapefruits and things like that which is a great place to start. I always, when my kids were young, I used to teach them, you know, have a lot of color on your plate. So you don't want everything to be tan, like chicken nuggets and French fries. Like you wanna have richness and color. So red peppers and purple cabbage and things like that. When you think about organic, it's really important that you understand what is worth buying organic and what you probably can get away with not. And one of the things that is prevalent in our soil is glyphosate which is a direct cause of cancer. We know this, yet we still use it. It's the active ingredient in Roundup, which is a pesticide and it's everywhere in our foods. And we've really got to do the best that we can to avoid that. So if you've got like fruits and vegetables that have a lot of texture, like strawberry, cabbage, celery, things that don't have a peel, then you want to invest the extra money in buying organic. However, if you've got things like bananas, watermelon, um, avocados, like things that have like a hearty peel, you can probably get away with buying the regular because organic, unfortunately, is expensive. And right now in this economy with inflation as high as it is, everything is ridiculously expensive. So you've got to figure out like what makes sense with my budget to buy in order to, you know, feed my family in a way that's healthy and sustainable. I avoid things with a barcode. If you've got packaged foods that have a barcode, I really try to avoid those as much as possible. And then as far as meats are concerned, I always buy organic um, dairy, eggs, and meat, um, mostly because they don't have the growth hormone, they don't have the pesticides. Typically, and you can see like, is this a grass-fed cow or a pasture-raised cow? The meat is completely different than a commercially processed cow that's fed corn, right? Cows aren't meant to fed corn. Same thing with your seafood. You know, you really want to get live, fresh seafood versus farmed seafood. If you've ever watched any documentaries on how they make farmed seafood, it's 
pretty nasty. Like salmon, again, they're not, they're not supposed to eat corn. That's why farm raised salmon is like that kind of like sad, light pink color where the sockeye is like a bright red. So figure out like what's worth it for you. But for me, dairy, meat, eggs, those are always going to be organic. And I can go to Costco and find things that are a lot more uh, affordable than like going to my local grocery store to get those things. Thank you. And, and, and again, you're touching on, on the, the choices of what we need to pick and, and understanding those items, like what to look for specifically. I think that's the biggest thing. Again, these are the reasons why we have these shows and there's people such as yourself going around talking about these things just to highlight, you know, what needs to be done. I love what you said about the seasonality, you know, of picking out the right food around, because technically if you're going to eat something that is not in season, it's probably frozen and, you know, from a different time, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. been, it's been through the process before you got it. So it's not as fresh as, and, and anyone who's gone to a farm and bought stuff on the farm, literally will know the difference between what, I don't care if it's potatoes they will taste different and you know uh anything from from i mean apples to apples literally when you go to the farm and i do like apple picking you know in the season and then you buy from the market stuff i mean you put two two apples side by side one's gonna you know go crazy and bad quickly and it's gonna have all these stains and it's gonna like you know go stale mm -hmm. bad and the other one's gonna stay fresh and it's gonna eventually it's gonna you know go away and it's gonna die out but it will not be the same i've seen them side by side and it's a the taste is different the texture is different and it makes a big difference now obviously the cost is is sometimes a difficult thing because yeah. that's what it is however you know that takes me to that discussion about us spending a lot of money going out and eating outdoors and stuff that mm -hmm. costs more money and i i, yeah. I wanted to tell just just a message to people you know I, because I, I get the businesses, I have, you know, a membership to the restaurant depot and one of those large, you know, it's even bigger than that's where most of the restaurants, you know, can get local. I mean, obviously there's better supplies or bigger supplies, but when you go to these things, I mean, the foods are standard. They come in pretty much from the same factories, whatever. And, but, but there, you, you know, there's, there's things that when you go to a restaurant, that's where they, they, there's a good chance if it's a local market restaurant or local place, it's going to be, you know, buying a lot of the stuff last minute from these locations. And the food there, it may not be as organic as you want. And so that's the other thing. You got to look as to where you can get your stuff. If you're going to eat out, again, you're going to know. I love what you said about the, the the seafood or the fish in general. I mean, you know, if it's not fresh, if it's raised in, in a bucket, literally, or an aquarium, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's nasty. I mean, I mean, tilapia is one of the... The, the more common ones and I, if you taste the tilapia today it's it's nasty literally and uh, you know i don't mean to to make people feel or you know think about it but it's really tastes kind of like you know uh, like yucky it's just we we one time we 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 tested it and it was like oh my god it was like no this is not it and so i can tell you like now you can if you live by anything a port or whatever they have actually fresh fish that comes in you know early on afternoons in some of these you know boats and you can literally get it right off there or you can go to the market and get them fresh so there's different options but not everybody has those luxuries depends where you're located i mean you said you have said new york mm -hmm. you might have different but you have the farms so you have the advantage there some people in jersey they might have or like you know sometimes in in, in more internal states they might have more things and, and again the show is worldwide so it depends on part of the world you're in this could mm -hmm. be different. I mean, in the U.S., we just have a lot of these things. I mean, it's 
we're capitalists, you know, one-on-one, we're all about profit. And unfortunately, industries, they do what they do best. They want to generate more profits. They produce faster and bigger and meaner. <laughs> and so mm. there, is, there is, you know, as much as we have FDA approvals and stuff, that only, you know, touches some of the surface. And, you know, there's there's always that limit. You cannot go beyond this. And, you know, as long as you're there, you're good. You pass the, the measures of the FDA and that's all there is. That's really the truth, right? So mm-hmm. we can't hide that. It's not like we can sugarcoat around it. It is what it is. It's a fact. But we just need to be aware exactly what that is for all of us watching and listening. And if you're in a place where it makes more sense, you can get access to fresh fish. Go for it. Uh, to your point, how these these animals are raised, you know, and what they eat. Are they grass-fed, as you said? You know, like even, you know, uh, chickens, you know, mm-hmm. or eggs. I mean, you know, cage-free doesn't mean necessarily that that they're, you know, range-free, you know. Free, you know? So there's, I, right. I guess there's, there's some differences. Even in, like you're talking about barcode, I mean, I was just... It was funny. I mentioned this at a different show. You know, I just learned that they, these girls, like nine is organic, eight is something else, and so on and so forth. And, but but not everybody knows those things, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if I didn't listen to this particular show, I wouldn't have had that opportunity to learn that, right? I mean, it's not like we're active, like, what is this? What is that? And not everybody's doing that. And so that's that's a problem. Now, this is let's assume that someone does all that, and we find the right food, and we do this, which takes on. We cut a little bit from going out, and maybe you know, or even if we do, we'll find a better place to eat and things like that. So mm-hmm. you know, that's maybe you get to a mom and pop shop, you know, where you can get the cooking, home cooking, but you get to these box ready food that may not be the same. That's the other thing, right? So again, you got to be selective, mm-hmm. and this is not anti business, folks. You just you know, it's your health, right? You got to do like maybe once in a blue moon you indulge, that's okay, but it's not the consistency. And if you're out there every day, eating outdoors every day, and, and that's one thing. Then we have also the quantities. What would you say mm-hmm. about people eating, you know, the quantities we eat today, at least in the States, are ridiculously, you know, enormous. And, and the, the frequencies too. Yeah. So I think a lot of it's habitual too. We, we have these habits that, you know, after, after I get home from work at like four o'clock, I, I snack on something or, you know, after I eat dinner, before I go to bed, there's so many things that we do that are habitual. There are very small percentage of the population of the United States are actually hungry. Most of us are, are overfed. But when I work with clients, I do health and nutrition coaching. I have them initially track everything. I have them buy a food scale, you know, cheap, $20 on Amazon, and we are measuring and tracking absolutely everything that they put into their mouth. And that allows you to really pay attention to what you're eating, the macronutrients, how much protein, how much fat, how much carbohydrates you're eating, how much fiber, and all of those things are so much more filling than the mindless snacking that we tend to do. So... The other thing is you don't want to eat until you're like stuffed. I don't believe in this, like you have to clear your plate. I think that's nonsense. You know, we have receptors in our stomach. If we keep stretching them and stretching them, our capacity to eat is going to be higher and higher. And that feeling of satiety is going to be further and further away. So I teach people eat till you're about 80% full. Eat slowly, chew your food, swallow, like allow the enzymes in your mouth to do their job and to start the process of digestion. 
Put your fork down in between bites. Try not to eat while you're distracted with like screens or multitasking. And you'll realize like you actually don't need these huge quantities of food that we're used to putting in our bodies. It's really habitual. So there are some sensible things that you can do to reset your palate, to reset your satiation and like to stop eating so much. We're very overfed. It's a, it's a thing in it. Like I said, it's worldwide. So in the U.S. specifically, we have this problem. In other areas, yeah. we may not have that. But right. but if you compare just Europe to us, there's a big difference in terms of even if you travel, the, the portions that you get. I mean, you're talking about macronutrients and the, the, the ideal portions, right? And here's one thing, you know, and in other countries may be different. You know, some people have more of a, you know, a lighter kind of portions. You get a little bit and that's it. And it's, it's, uh, it's just the way it is. And there's also, like you said, about... Uh, habitual stuff how we eat i mean if you're snacking a bag of whatever chips that are not even food and uh they taste good <laughs> i mean we all yeah. to, you know all these things taste good and, and once you get one you can't finish right i mean you you can't stop you just keep going mm -hmm. right like that that whole uh, pringles you know yeah. <laughs> you know commercial <laughs> it, it's really true i mean once you start you can't stop that's just it, they're almost addictive and you keep going and by the time you finish when you look at the servings you're like oh my god i just got two thousand calories now you right. you ate two thousand calories before even getting your meals for the day, and you don't need two thousand. Some some of us depends on the body. You might not even need that much. Therefore, you're already like ahead of the game in your calorie counts now. Just calories now. This is a debate that maybe you can enlighten us about more because we hear about calorie in, calorie out. There's different. There's mm -hmm. the nutrition part. There's eating healthy. There's interrupt portion. So there's a lot of talk out there. A lot of chatter about how or what works and what doesn't. I think. You can you can light lighten up a little the burden on all of us by by breaking it down. I mean, ultimately you talked about the mac macronutrients, but the one thing, for example, carbohydrates, right? We hear all about sugars and pasta and rice, mm -hmm. and uh, brown sugar versus white sugar. I mean, there's a lot of debate. Some people say the brown sugar is not as good as the white sugar, and vice versa. And that's the thing. Like right now, you don't even know where the source is. Who do I believe? I mean, frankly, sometimes that's where it gets to the point. Like everybody's got a story and you flip on any social media, you'll hear one version here and you get another one here. It's amazing. Like we can't even get now unless you do your work and you do diligence. It's a tough place to be. So what do you say to that? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm on this podcast is to really help people sift through all of the misinformation that's out there. If you need to lose weight, you have to be in a caloric deficit. You have to take in less than you burn. You just have to. It's just basic science. And one of the things that I always stress with my clients is you cannot outwork a bad diet. So if you eat that whole bag of chips and you're like, oh, I'll just go walk on the treadmill, you'll be walking for days in order to burn off those calories. But one of the things we've got to focus on is if we're trying to decrease body fat, which is what most of us need, most of us need to decrease body fat and put on more lean muscle. Lean muscle is your anti-aging organ. The more muscle you have on your frame, the longer you will live unless something bad like catastrophic happens. And so we've got to think about, all right, for my, you know, what is my goal weight based on my height? And it has to be reasonable. And then you calculate what the total amount of calories that you need. And then you calculate, okay, well, how much protein do I really need to take in? And it's always more than you think, because protein is essential if you're going to build muscle and burn fat.
And then you have to think about carbohydrates. Carbohydrates have been villainized for years. You know, oh, they're so bad for us. Carbohydrates are your most important fuel source. If you are not eating carbohydrates, then you are going to walk around feeling like your tank is on empty. You're going to have very, very low energy. The difference is the type of carbohydrates that you're eating. You've got to eat carbohydrates from whole food sources, fruit vegetables, starches. I'm a huge fan of rice. Um, I You want to have those starchy, good carbohydrates that come from the earth, not from a bag. And then you've got to keep your fats relatively low. You don't want to have a huge high fat diet because for the most part, most of us are carrying around enough fat as it is. And so you want to start sensibly you don't, if you, if you ever are introduced to some diet, that's like, oh, you've got to cut your calories to like 800 calories a day and you can't exercise and it's not sustainable. You've got to figure out like what you can live with, not something that you're going to try for the next 30 days or 60 days, but like, what is something that you can live with so that you can permanently change your life? Because one of the things that people don't realize is every time you like lose a bunch of weight and gain it back you are destroying your metabolism. And the next time that you try to lose the weight again, it's going to be even harder. So we've got to stop this yo-yo dieting and all these programs that are just way too low calorie, way too not sustainable because it's really, really harmful for us. Well, thank you. I mean, you, you're, <laughs> you've touched on quite a bit there. One being, you know, uh, the, the the lean muscle mass and proteins, right? I mean, because that's the other thing. Like again, and, and you're right. Calories you have to be in. You got to burn them. That's the first source where the energy comes. And then if not, it's uh, it's not the fat. Actually, it's really the muscle that gets you know in first because lighter. And I guess that that kind of works a different way. And that's how the body is. And so so we need to. And and as we grow older, you know, the the body the the muscles kind of diminish anyways by default. So you need to almost constantly build right. that more and more and more. I've had a lot of discussions, plus, you know, we talk about strength training a lot just to build the mass and keep the muscles, you know, up because eventually those will prevent, you know, fall and, you know, uh, bone structure and all the stuff that's happening. Mm -hmm. But you're right. You know, the diets are great. I mean, you talk about, you know, fat and, and we need some fat in there and we don't need a lot of fat, but, you know, you have like keto diets, right? You know, that's, that's a big thing. All these diets, they do have to, there's, there is a functionality, they work, but you said it. It's not consistent forever. I mean, you'll do the diet, mm -hmm. but eventually, what is it going to be? Three months, four months, you're going to give up and you're right. Everything's going to like get all messed up and then you got to restart again. And now your body's out of whack. Next thing you know, you can't catch up. And now you have to find another one and you have, it's not consistent. What you need is, as you said, is like finding the right, you know, balance between the carbs, the fats, the actual lean meat and protein stuff. So you can get, and, and you said it, whole stuff, natural, you know, that is, uh, you know, real it's not fake food or, or, or extra like mm -hmm. added sugars, which is, you know, not good for you. And we can talk about sugars also. Uh, you know, the natural stuff it always works. And if you didn't consistently, it's great. You said something that is very powerful for people to just keep it as a rule. You know, it's very easy to gain weight. It's very hard to lose weight. Let's, let's call it for mm -hmm. what it is, right? You can gain weight in, in, in one day. You eat a few meals extra and the next day you're going to gain a couple of pounds. But to drop those pounds, it will take a lot more days and a lot more exercise. And, you know, so so it's always going to be that way. So if you do it right, like people eat four or five times a day, 
you know, is that even necessary? I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, there are schools of thought that say you can eat, you know, a little here and there. Some people say, you know, you get a nice breakfast and a nice meal, you know, and that's it. That's what the for the day. As long as it's got the right balances, as you said, there's some color in there, there's some meat there, you know, some starches, and you get all the stuff. So your body can you know, knows what to burn, when to burn, how to do it. So, so, yeah, so how so, do we do that? So I think it depends. You know, if you're one of those people that you do better on five small meals a day versus three large meals a day, I don't really care how you do it. I will prescribe you, you know, here's your calories, your fat, your proteins, your carbs, you know, figure out how it would work for you and your lifestyle. I don't like to eat five times a day. It's just not comfortable for me. Same thing with like intermittent fasting. Some of my clients are like, well, what do you think about intermittent fasting? Well, if it helps you to meet your macronutrients and it helps you to stay in a caloric deficit, then go ahead. You should definitely try that. It doesn't matter to me the how, it's the what. And making sure that what you're putting in your body is exactly what your body needs. You also alluded to the concept of muscle loss as we get older. The fancy name for that is sarcopenia. And it's something we've really got to pay attention to. As you get older, if you do not incorporate strength and resistance training, you will lose muscle just by virtue of your chronologic age which means that you are going to age more quickly and you are going your decline will be quicker. So that's something we've really got to pay attention to is making sure that we're not losing the amount of muscle on our frame because the more muscle you have on your frame also strengthens your bones. And if you have a bad fall when you get older, the worst thing that can happen is to break a hip, break a leg. And so if you have more muscle on your frame, you're going to be able to do that. So when you think about like, health span and high quality muscle is absolutely everything. Well, thank you. You, you mentioned something about the, uh, metal, uh, the, the metabolism, right? So that, that's mm -hmm. a bit, that's a big one. You know, let's, let's talk about that. Like how, I mean, just as simple as possible, how does that work? Because, you know, someone who's in the twenties is not the same as someone in the thirties or the forties and up and up. But I mean, you're talking about anti-aging, you know, we're talking about living a full lifespan, but but in different stages, and not every stage is the same and equal. Very few people actually contain and maintain you know, a particular metabolism level or the hormones, you know, functions. And even if we don't want, I mean, for example, menopause and menopause, I call you know the low T stuff for guys mm -hmm. and menopause. That's something you can't get away with. I mean, you can work around it, but these are some important pieces that we need to be aware of because those, if we're not clear about them, we'll we'll go out of work and then, and then and we talked about the diabetes earlier. I'd like to, to go back there as well uh, when we finish this particular item. Yeah. So let's talk about metabolism. A couple of like key principles when you're thinking about your metabolism in general. The first thing is your thyroid is your metabolic valve. If your thyroid is functioning well, then you're going to be optimizing your metabolism. So that's part of your yearly health screen is to make sure that you've got a thyroid gland that's functioning the way that it should. The second thing is there's a calculation called your BMR, your basal metabolic rate. And that is the amount of calories you burn just at rest, just by existing. The more muscle you have on your frame, the higher the number of calories you're going to burn at rest. So when I'm working with clients and we're trying to decrease fat and increase muscle, what we're actually doing as we put more muscle on is we're making them more metabolically efficient. So you're burning more calories like in your sleep 
because you've got more muscle on your frame. That's key. So again, preventing the sarcopenia, the age-related muscle loss will help you be more metabolic. Now, when you talk about hormones, that's a whole nother topic that I think people need to pay really close attention to. As you get older, if you're a male, your testosterone is going to naturally decline. Your growth hormone is going to naturally decline. You've got to talk to your provider about how do you want to deal with that? Do you just want to accept that as, okay, this is just what's going to happen to me? Or do you want to work with a provider to think about some hormone replacement therapy? For women, the same thing, paying attention to all of your female hormones. Are you perimenopausal? Are you heading towards menopause? Are you having symptoms of menopause? Paying attention to your estrogen, your estradiol, your um, FSH, LH, all of your female hormones so that you know what's going on between your brain and the rest of your body because those are going to have huge implications on your metabolism. And for me, like I have no interest in dealing with menopausal symptoms. So when the time comes, I personally plan on optimizing my hormones so that I don't struggle and suffer with all of the age-related decline that goes along with menopause. Also, someone can, you know, claim, well, to, to optimize, you know, the hormones, that means you have to input hormones, I guess, right? Or you're mm -hmm. some sort of therapy. Now, some people can before or against what what are some of the i guess the ramifications one way or the other for people when, when they come to deciding on on hormones so there's a lot of mixed literature out there but i think the overwhelming accepted notion now is that hormone replacement is associated with anti-aging and longevity for all of your hormones whether you're male or female so whether you're a male and you're doing testosterone replacement therapy or if you're a female doing estrogen replacement therapy there was a study that was done a long time ago the women's health study and it showed that women that were on hormone replacement therapy had a higher risk of cancers but what people didn't realize, and now they do, is that sample of women were older. They were in their 70s. And so by virtue of just being older, your risk of all cancers goes up anyway. So it was a very flawed study. And people are now realizing like, well, yeah, we probably shouldn't you know, withhold hormones from women because of a study that had a sample that was really, really old. And so there's much better science out there that's supporting, at the very least, exploring hormone replacement therapy, having those conversations with your providers to see if it makes sense for you. All right. Well, thank you. I mean, again, because that, that's a big one, right? Like, you know, people sometimes they don't want to have additional hormones because we've heard about it causes problems, cancer one being. Uh, so it just, you know, at least to to give people a little bit of an advice of where to go. And the best way, as always, we say, check with your provider, make sure you do your research, mm -hmm. you do the diligence, and then then you make those informed decisions. Now, now I earlier we talked about diabetes as one being the top, you know, problems. And we talked during the nutrition discussion about, you know, sugars and starches. Now, in the treatment of diabetes, one of the main medications is metformin. <laughs> now, mm -hmm. now, uh, is it true that you know now it is it is used for anti-aging? Because I, I actually was told that by my provider that it is actually now being prescribed, you know, and it helps people maintain, you know, a better age, you know, I guess uh, the decline, if you want to call it that way, or mm -hmm. age improvement. Yeah, so metformin has shown to be to have some really interesting anti-aging properties, and it's definitely something you should talk to your provider about. Um, 
because it's the way that you, it helps you to metabolize glucose better. Me personally, I'm not on metformin. I don't need it right now. I'm able to optimize my metabolism and my metabolic health through exercise and nutrition. But it's definitely something to think about. The studies are still ongoing and some of the biggest anti-aging specialists in the world are taking metformin uh, because it has shown to expand your lifespan. And so I think, and it's, there's not a lot of side effects. There's not a lot of down to it. It's a very inexpensive medication. And so again, it's definitely worth a conversation with your provider to understand if like, maybe that makes sense for you or not. Right. So, so you, you talked about how you choose like with exercise and everything. So let's talk about the type of exercise that we need to, to give advice, you know, to people with, because uh, a lot of people do aerobics and cardio and really that's where it stands. And, you know, you go into a treadmill and <laughs> the treadmill and you run, mm -hmm. you know, hours, two hours, whatever, maybe do some Zumba. That's all good. I mean, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you can get a little fun and you burn some mm -hmm. calories, but, but you, you talked earlier about, you know, building the muscles. So what kind of, I guess, formula methodology of, of workout that you advise people to really build and maintain a better health. So this was the, where the big shift in, in my health and wellness occurred. I was a big cardio junkie. I like to do the high intensity, you know, sweat till and like get out of breath and all of that stuff. And nothing ever really changed inside of my body. Like I never lost any weight. I was still kind of the same. And so I embarked on my own journey of really understanding health and wellness. And it was when I really started to incorporate strength training on a daily basis that my body shifted. So I was at like 25% body fat for the longest time. And I was doing cardio and I was like doing all the things that I thought were was right. And when I finally worked with a coach and he's like, Christine, you've got to stop all of this cardio. It's ridiculous. And he put me on a strength training program where I was lifting heavy six days a week. That's when my body changed. And my body fat has been at 15% now for several years. I like resistance training. So I typically do a three-day cycle where I do, you know, chest and arms one day. I'll do shoulder and back the next. And then I do lower body. And then I repeat that cycle. So three days, three days, and then usually Sundays is a rest day. I'm actually going to go to yoga later today instead of lifting. And what I have found, and especially with women, men tend to have figured this out earlier that like, yeah, I should probably lift weights. That's the right thing. Women, we tend to love the, the Stairmaster and the elliptical and all that stuff. And it made no difference in our health. Once you start picking up the weights and doing the correct amount of repetitions and sets in the right order, that's where all the magic happens. And that's where you're replacing that body fat with lean muscle. You're not going to turn into a bodybuilder. You are just going to put more nice, long, lean muscle on your frame, which is going to make you metabolic. It's going to make you live longer and healthier, and you're going to look better, which is really important too. Well, that's, that's, thank you for clarifying it. Cause I think one of the, the biggest thing is that, you know, if I put, you know, use weights, I'm going to become, you know, manly or big and bulky, you know, I'm not going to, mm -hmm. to one of those, uh, you know, competitions, right. Bodybuilders competitions. So a lot of people shy away from that. I just want to be, you know, feminine and, you know, look sexy, whatever mm -hmm. the, the expression that, that you hear, but really you think that's, that's been a, a standard formula. You just, you want to be, uh, you know, on that aspect and your cardio is good. Now, Obviously, we want a good cardio, but but you're right. Mm -hmm. When you put, you know, 
you know, you put in weight, it does take a big thing. I mean, it, it's a lot of work that's that's being done in your body to actually build that muscle. And you're burning, you know, that fat as well. So it, it's just a different way, but it hasn't been promoted over years. To, mm-hmm. to, today, I think there's more discussion about this than, than you know, I mean, I've been in gyms in pretty much all my life. And, uh, you know, more recently, I'm hearing more about these type of discussions, especially when it comes to like, you know, uh, strength training and resistance training versus like, you know, you know, we've heard about, I mean, obviously hit training and cardio and stuff and building mm-hmm. uh, aerobics been there forever. So, but, but really this is the new thing. And you clarifying this for a lot of folks, especially our women listening right now, you, you, you are open their eyes differently to like, Hey, you can still do this without having to really look, you know, that big, you can look great, you know, in a better shape and definitely look leaner and, and meaner, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so go ahead. I was just going to say too, it's not that cardio is bad, but we don't always have a lot of time. We're not going to spend an hour and a half in the gym. So if you've got 45 minutes and you have a choice between doing cardio or lifting weights, you're going to choose the weightlifting. And then I will add on like a low intensity walk where my heart rate is, you know, not super high, like maybe 120s-ish. I can carry on a conversation with you while I'm walking, but I'm not like totally out of breath. That's a nice sweet spot also in terms of trying to burn fat. It's just a nice, they call it zone two in terms of your heart rate, zone two heart work training, a nice brisk walk, a stationary bike, like something where you're not like dying at the end of it, but you're always going to choose to pick up the weights versus stepping on the treadmill if that's how much time that you have. Everybody has that access. I mean, I mean, and, and you don't need a lot. You can get a couple of weights home, right? I mean, that's the other thing. Like people think like I need super machines. Right. You don't need that. Resistant bands, you know, stuff like that can do the trick. I mean, even body work. I mean, you push ups and things like that can make a difference as well. So there's a few things. I mean, do you recommend these things? Because someone says, well, I don't have, I don't want, I can't go to membership, you know, at a gym, too expensive. I mean, although there's gyms that are like literally ten dollars, you know, <laughs> and I'm talking about like you know national, you know, I'm not talking about some mm-hmm. some corner, you know, gym. But but you have those uh, for like you know one dollar in, and you're like ten dollars or fifteen dollars a month. You can join one of those you know big box gyms. So it's there, and they have all the machines, you know. And that's the other thing. Do you uh, consider you know working with machines versus free weights? Is that a, does that make a difference, or doesn't matter? Yeah, I like to do both. But if I have a new client who's like, I just want to work out in my basement, then I'll say, all right, I need you to buy two pair of dumbbell. That's it. You can get an amazing workout with two pair of dumbbell. I usually like if if you're a female, maybe like a 10 pound and a 20 pound. But when I'm at the if so I have a home gym and I also belong to a gym. If I like on leg day, I like to go to the gym because I lift really heavy. And then I like to do a nice combination of free weights and machines. Um, If I'm home, I'm usually doing just free weights because it engages your core a little bit more. You know, we haven't talked about balance, but balance and mobility work is also really important when you're thinking about longevity. So free weights incorporates a little bit more of that balance and core work. But you do not need any sophisticated gym equipment to get a really good workout. And as you said, body weight is amazing. Some of the hardest workouts that I can put together are body weight. You know, you can do burpees and all sorts of things that are, are particularly difficult and get a great workout. All right. So so now let's transit to the the supplement world. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. 
we talk nutrition, but but how we get in all the nutrients that we need? I mean, besides the the proteins and you know the things that you know, that we need, the carbs. But there is minerals and vitamins and things like that that may be lacking. And I I've read a study that that said that we are we need about over sixty plus you know vitamins and so on and so forth, and we're not getting half of that you know in our daily intake. What do you say to that one? And is there a way to actually you know kind of circumvent that? So I'm actually a big fan of supplements. I take quite a few, um, and that would probably be a whole separate podcast talking about supplements. But <laughs> you can do that. You know, if any listeners want to pick my brain about supplements, I'd happy to be jump on a call um, and just help you through that process. But you know, 90% of your diet needs to come from whole foods, right? Following a pattern of macronutrients, but it's impossible to get all, all of what we need from our food sources, especially that the way that our food is made right now and regenerative soil issues and things like that. So a couple of things, if you don't know where to start, then I would think about a, a couple of things. Number one is you've got to have a post-workout protein supplement. Within 30 minutes of finishing my workout, I've got 20 grams of protein ready to go that I just drink quickly. And then it's in my body, it's in my muscle cells, you know, trying to stimulate protein synthesis and help me build some muscle. So that's one thing. The other thing is just looking at your essential vitamins and, you know, your multivitamins. So A, D, K, and E are your fat solubles that we need to get, you know, typically from a supplement source. If you live in an area like I do where there's not a lot of sunshine, most people are deficient in vitamin D. You can get your vitamin D levels checked from a simple blood test and it'll let you know like where you are and you know what you need to do in terms of that. And then there's a lot of supplements for your cardiovascular health that, you know, help to make your blood, for no better term, more slippery. So fish oils and krill oils and things like that to really help with that cardiovascular effect. And then there's a whole nother subset of supplements for your gut health and your immune health, you know, starting with probiotics and moving through, you know, I take a greens solution that I blend into water every day to really help populate my gut microbiome. So you can go really deep into the supplement world, but if you want to just start somewhere, having a good high quality protein source after your workout is going to be the most strategic to help you put on some more lean muscle. Thank you. And you touch on microbiome and gut health. That's that's yeah. a big piece. A lot of stuff is happening. All your immune system is is getting, you know, a lot of action there. So 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 would you just, you know, expand a little bit on on, on that and the importance of that, like the microbiome itself and the gut health? Yeah. Yeah. So your your gut microbiome lives in your small intestine and it's all of the little bacteria that you've got billions of them that live inside of us and they keep our immune system in check. What's interesting is because of the food and the antibiotics in our food source, we have really damaged our gut microbiome. That's why it's so important to eat organic and to know where your meat comes from. Because if, you, if you're eating beef from a cow that was given antibiotics, then those antibiotics are in your system and you are altering the bacteria in your gut. So you don't want to do that. You want to keep it to a healthy place. So one of the things is to figure out, well, how do you feed your gut and how do you feed your microbiome and those bacteria what they want? 
And a lot of times that's where my, the greens come from that I drink every day. It's almost like fertilizer for your gut. Knock on wood, like I don't ever get sick. We, we've had like all sorts of illness. I work in a hospital, but I rarely, rarely get sick. And I think it's the attention that I pay to my gut microbiome to make sure that I'm feeding it well. I take a good probiotic every day um, just to keep that area very healthy and intact so that when I do come into contact with, you know, different types of germs, and there's tons of them, that my body's like, yep, yeah, I got this. We're good. I can handle this, you know, and without, I'm not somebody that douses hand sanitizer all over myself or wears a mask everywhere. Like I believe in germ therapy, like, okay, like, let me, show me what you got. We'll, we'll deal with it. You're doing old school, right? <laughs> I, I'm old school. Yeah. Well, but but it, it works because, you, you know, the more you protect yourself, your immune system is not, you know, familiar with all the stuff and therefore it's not ready. But if it's, constantly bombarded it's always live and ready and i think that's just right? a, a way to i guess to look at it uh, and sometimes you know that that works a lot of people you know they they just are exposed enough that they don't have same thing with allergies if you're exposed enough to certain element you kind of lose mm -hmm. that right so it makes a difference now now some people with the probiotic i mean would you recommend any particular supplement or maybe like you know yogurts and things like that kefir or, or one of those drinks can make a difference so in my opinion, I think they all taste really bad. So that's why <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't do like kefir or sauerkraut and that kind of stuff. Like the good fermented foods, like you definitely have to acquire a taste for them and you have to drink a lot of them. The other thing with yogurt, and I like yogurt, I eat a lot of like non-fat Greek yogurt, but if you put sugar in the yo yogurt, it kills the good bacteria. So it kind of wipes all of that out in the process. So, you know, I think it's to each their own. People like to get stuff naturally. That's great if you if you enjoy it and that works for you. For me, I've, I have found a probiotic that I like. I take it every day. It's very reliable. And, you know, like I said, knock on wood, I very, very rarely get sick. So, so that, that's a big note, you know, in terms of like where people can go. I mean, there's a lot of supplements in supplement store mm -hmm. and you know, some of it are just generic. Some of it are good. You know, there's a lot of online uh, is there a preference? What do we, what, what should people look for to actually really, you know, cause, cause you don't know. I mean, all, most of the supplements are not FDA approved. They just basically, right. you know, cause they're not really, I, I guess that's, I don't even know why, <laughs> you know, but, but every one of them that says label, this is not FDA is not, you know, it's just, uh, uh, there's different, I guess, uh, measurements or requirements for supplements versus regular food. So, so where do people, or can people actually get, you know, a better type of supplement if they're looking for? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the problem is you'll go to like Walmart and you'll see these, you know, really cheap supplements and they've got all sorts of fillers and additives and things in there. And you just don't know what you're getting because they're not regulated. So I've done a lot of homework in terms of like where the best supplements come from. And I use a company called First Form, the number one, First P-H-O-R-M, and they're out of St. Louis, Missouri. They have done the best in terms of quality control, making sure the ingredients are top notch. And so that's where I get all everything except there's a couple that like they don't make. Um, I get from there because you just don't know where things are coming from and what's in them. Like if you take a fish oil and you burp and you can taste the fish, that's a bad sign. Like you should not be able to do that. You want to make sure that they're coming from really high quality sources, which means you're probably going to pay a little bit more, but 
to me, it's worth it because they're a huge part of my goal to live a really long life. I'm listening to you, but isn't that sad that for everything that is good, you got to pay more? <laughs> it, it, it's it amazing is. how it's it's like you could, I mean, companies can make just as much money by just giving better quality, but but somehow that's not the case. You got to pay more to get the, the best of the best. And, and the average person cannot afford sometimes these things. And that's really what the problem is. I, I could not agree more. So that's why, you know, my strategy is always get as much as you can from your whole food sources, figure out where the holes are, you know, and then we can plug up the holes with supplements. Like you don't have to take a thousand supplements, um, but you do need to find like, what are the big ones that are going to give me the most bang for my buck? Meaning like what is going to actually make me feel better and for me, it's like that energetic feeling. Do I feel like when I wake up in the morning, like I'm ready to go, you know, crush today? Or am I like dragging, just hoping to get like 20 more minutes of sleep? That's kind of my barometer in terms of like how I feel. And for the most part, like I, you know, we can do a whole nother podcast someday on sleep. But for the most part, you know, I wake up and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go. Like, let's go. I was going to ask about hydration and sleep. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I know we could talk all day. Right. Well, yeah, well I it's mean, important. Is everything. So, so I, you know, I, you, we hear a lot of, you know, different, you know, I guess versions like you know, seven hours, eight hours, you know, you don't need much, you know, six hours will do. I mean, does that, that there's there a particular number that we need to at least, you know, be considering because that, that's the thing it falls into time and the best excuse. Mm -hmm. Everything we talked about today is time and money. I mean, really, that's what it is. Right. Yeah. Sleep is free, right? <laughs> so I think it's more quality than quantity in terms of sleep. Like if you could get six hours of high quality, deep sleep circulating through REM sleep, then you're going to probably wake up and feel really, really good. If you're getting eight hours of crappy sleep where you're waking up and you're, you know, interrupted, then you're going to wake up feeling pretty crappy. So it's really quality over quantity. And I would say like free things that you can do to improve your sleep is turn your screens off two hours before you go to bed, stop drinking. So you're not getting up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night, keep your room nice and dark and cool. Um, stay away from led lights. Like those are some basic things. Don't drink caffeine after like, you know, two, three o'clock in the afternoon, because that stays in your system. And I would say altogether, just avoid alcohol. It's going to do nothing to help you with your sleep. Look, that's a big one. A lot of people cannot live without that. <laughs> uh, you know, sadly, it's just, you know, one thing. I mean, uh, I, you know, it's funny because throughout the pandemic, you know, liquor stores were open, uh, you know, because yeah. that was almost a necessity. So, so it, it's, it's a challenging for a lot of people. I mean, you know, you kind of have some fun and, you know, I guess fun comes with some alcohol and, but, but it's not good for you because that's sugars and everything. And again, to go back to, to the discussion that, you know, about, you know, diabetes and liver and all the other stuff mm -hmm. that can happen. Uh, now, now hydration, just, just to, to, to close with that one. Yeah. Um, it, that's an important thing. I mean, obviously I don't think people drink enough and even when they do, I mean, I don't think they drink the proper <laughs> liquids. I mean, water should be the, the one, but you know, everything that, that if you go to a store right now and look at all these things that they have, it's all sugary, colorful, artificial stuff. And even talking about alcohol, I mean, it doesn't do any good for you. So, so what are some recommendations that can make someone do better? Because whether you're working out and stuff, you're going to need some good water in you. 
Yeah. So as a society, we're chronically dehydrated. We do not drink enough water. We drink too much caffeine. And now there are so many energy drinks out there that have diuretic effects that cause us to be dehydrated. So we're very, very dehydrated. You really want to consume. I usually drink a gallon of water a day, which I know is a lot. It's 128 ounces. I add electrolytes to my water so that I've got some sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium in my water. And then I'll flavor it up just a little bit. I would be cautious against any sort of artificial sweeteners in your water. But if you want to throw some lemons, some raspberries, like something in there just to like give it some flavor and it makes it more palatable, you can. The easy way to know that you've had enough to drink is your urine should be like a pale yellow color. If it's darker, then it means that you're dehydrated. And the, you know, the downside of drinking a gallon of water a day is you are going to the bathroom bathroom every hour or two. And that's just, you know, luckily our kidneys work well and they're flushing out our body, but you will look and feel better. Your skin will be better. Your blood pressure will be better if you are hydrated. So that is essential if you want to live a long, healthy life. Thank you. And I, I, I want to highlight the fact that you mentioned the electrolytes and, and, you know, yes, water alone can cause problems if it's not, if you don't have those other things because your balances, you know, are not going to be there, but you have to make sure they have, you have all the potassium, the, you know, all these things that you mentioned, otherwise, you know, it's, it's going to be a problem. So thank you for highlighting that. Now, one last thing is just like inflammation. I mean, everybody somehow has some of it. Uh, mm -hmm. What can we do to can prevent it? Yeah. So inflammation is directly tied to those four killers that we started with, like cancer, Alzheimer's, diabetes, uh, heart disease are diseases of inflammation. And so what the reason that we have so much inflammation is based on the foods that we eat and the things that we're exposed to in our environment. So, you know, we eat something that's high in sugar, our blood sugar spikes, our insulin gets released and our body becomes inflamed. So pay attention to the outward signs of how you feel when you're exposed to something. You know, there's foods that are highly inflammatory, things that have high fructose corn syrup, alcohol, fried foods, seed oils, all of those things are highly inflammatory. You just want to avoid them as much as you can because those are linked to those four killers and we want to avoid those. So I know we're, we're exceeding the hour here, but just one more thing that you just touched a couple of times on, which is oils. You mentioned oils a couple yeah. of times. You know, I mean, people use oils for food and a lot of it is bad out there. I mean, if you know, you, you do the research, all the stuff that we cook with is really not good other than some olive oil maybe. And that's that even that is sometimes depends on the source. What, what do you right. say to that? So any sort of your vegetable oils, seed oils, peanut oils, they are highly toxic. They cause inflammation. They get into your arteries and they cause um, damage of the endothelial lining. One of my favorite anti-aging gurus says he would rather smoke a cigarette than eat a French fry. That's how damaging those highly processed heated oils are. So I would say avoid them at all costs. They will cause art plaque to build up inside your arteries, which causes cardiovascular disease. So I would definitely avoid those. No, like you said, know where your olive oil is coming from. You know, things that are say extra virgin olive oil, like a good olive oil is actually like a green color, not a yellow color. So you've got to know where it comes from. And I feel like I've been all doom and gloom, right? Like there, but there are so many things that you can do, but you just need to know what to avoid. 
Well, I, I don't think so. I think I think you're just enlightening okay. people. No, I, 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 you know, I appreciate what, what, you, how you say it. I mean, you're straight to the point because you see, see all the atrocities and the bad things that are that that people go through, you know, in their health, and you know, it's not fun. I mean, I, I, I gotta give you credit. I mean, when you work in the ICU, you see a lot of bad things, mm -hmm. and and so you know, you don't want to wind up that way. And and I think I, I get it. I mean, like when you see, like my mom is diabetic, and. I, I see her struggling through it. I don't want to get that. And, you know, that's right. kind of like how it is. So when you see a lot of disease and illness and as you said, preventable potentially, you know, why not do the right thing? And I think we all owe it to ourselves. By the way, it's not just for ourselves. I mean, if we have loved ones and society that we live in. We should, we should just be good for that purpose as well. Cause we are going to do more for it. And if not, if, I mean, illness and disease may be good for some areas but it's really a toll on society on the tax you know payers mm -hmm. on a lot of stuff i mean there's all those things so there's more to this concept and there's also a mental aspect of it i mean we haven't even touched on that uh, mm. if your health is bad <laughs> your mental state may not be as good either so there's that as well well you know i mean yeah i, I think you wanted to, to just add something there no, I, 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 again, the, the mental health epidemic worldwide is, is really devastating. And it's important that we acknowledge that too. And that it's a holistic approach to health and wellness that the social, emotional, the spiritual, the physical, they're all interconnected. We can't separate them out. But if you are going to the gym and lifting weights and eating, your likelihood of being depressed or having poor mental health are a lot lower. So remember that they're all interconnected. And the last thing I'll say, as you alluded to, you are role modeling. Everybody who is around you is watching you. Your kids are watching you. Your friends are watching you. Like show them how it's done. Explain to them why you're lifting weights, why you're drinking water, you know, why you're abstaining from alcohol. Because role modeling, like actions, speak so much louder than any conversation that we could have. You know, I was going to ask you for more advice, but I think you've covered it. <laughs> so, so, doctor, thank you so much for 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 today's. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, it was worth waiting for, and uh, definitely enlightening. And uh, you know, a lot of it is is stuff that we might hear. You know, but but I think what you did, you kind of broke it down in all these these compartments, and it's all simple, and they're all connected, and they're not complex. You know things to right. do i mean really we can do them i mean anyone watching listening it, it it doesn't have to cost it doesn't have to be you know time consuming if you play it right you can do it right and your outcomes are going to be better you'll live a happier life and healthier i mean if you're healthy i mean that's that's one thing that and time you cannot really bring if if you lose those it's over right so you know and time is is important because you can do a lot more things you can enjoy life better so uh, you know, thank you so much for being with us today and for, for, for a great show and discussion. I truly appreciate it. My that. pleasure. My pleasure. All right. Well, there you go, folks. You know, uh, we're, we come to the end of the show today. Hope you've learned a few things and, uh, you know, at least you have some guidance. I will have the link, you know, to doctor on, on the description of the show. So if someone wants to reach out you know, I'm sure she'll be more than happy to, to connect and, uh, give some advice and, you know, and we'll take it from there. That being said, I'm Eric and H. We'll be talking soon. New day, new show on the topic. Bye for now.